know it. I wear a face covering because it hates the infection me. It helps protect others, just like hand washing and social distancing. You must wear one in shops and on public transport. I wear one for everyone. We all must do it to get through it. morning could I extend to you a warm welcome as the Lord has guided and directed us uh, together for worship over the means of internet or through our CD ministry. Uh, just uh, some announcements for our congregation indeed for uh, each one as they listen in this morning. Uh, we have our online youth worship this evening and that's available from half past five and I will be the speaker uh, in that youth worship. Then, uh, just to keep you in the loop as such, our online ministries uh, resume uh, this week, and you'll be able to pick that up uh, as we go along with our midweek uh, on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. and our Zoom prayer meeting following that at a quarter to uh, nine. Then just to say that in line with COVID-19 restrictions, uh, church buildings have been asked to close uh, from this Sunday and reopen, uh, God willing, on Sunday uh, the 7th of February. Uh, so we trust that you'll be able to continue to worship with us online as our buildings are closed. Today we're continuing in our series that we started last Sunday uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, and there Ecclesiastes talks about how things go round in cycles and how nothing seems to last and yet God reminds us that he is the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the one who is making all things new. And so we read from Revelation chapter 21 He who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And there we have the hope of Christ and there we have the gloom and the bleakness of death without Christ. Let's praise our God as we turn and use the words of our hymn, Work for the Night is Coming.
that hymn and Ecclesiastes poses to us the question, what happens, what will we do when our work is finished, when our life is over? And Ecclesiastes will ask us and guide us in answering that question. Let's now come to our God that we have praised. Let us come to him in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for this your day. We thank you that we can come aside from our work and we can rest. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your holy presence in an attitude of worship, of reverence, and of prayer. So we pray, Lord, that you would help our thoughts to be stilled, that our hearts would be calm as we leave aside the distractions of this world and our work to focus on you, to bring you your worship. Father, you have given us one day in seven to rest from our labors, to bring our worship to you. And so, Father, help us to rejoice and to celebrate in that gift that you have given to us, that gift of rest, and how that points to eternity, where you will provide for us eternal rest through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we come this day before you with excitement and in anticipation of you speaking to us. And so, Lord, we pray that your living word would be opened up to us, would be real, would be relevant, and that your Holy Spirit would speak through it and apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we may know the true meaning of life, that we may know the true meaning of our work, that we may know the true meaning of eternity and faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with us, that you would join us as we meet from our different homes and locations and countries, that you would unite us through faith in Christ. And this may be a time of blessing. This may be a time of reality and a time of hope as we pray in and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. And to set the scene from Scripture today, our reading is going to be taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And that will be read by one of our elders, uh, David Hannah. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labour, at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and turns to the north. Round and round it goes ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. 
what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Our thanks to David for that reading from Scripture and we pray for God's blessing to be upon it. And our sermon title for today is taken from verse 9 of that reading. There is nothing new under the sun. But before we come to God's word, we're going to spend some time uh, with the boys and girls and our young people uh, as we think about toys to distract us. Uh, as we talk later with the older folk, uh, we, we recognize that uh, there are many things in life that distract us. But for boys and girls and young people, we can normally, we can normally calm that down and condense that down to talk about toys toys to distract us. And so boys and girls, this morning we want to think about toys and how they are used or how they can be used to distract us. Sometimes that's in a good way and sometimes not so good. So I have thought uh, about some toys that are used to distract us uh, and I hope that they make sense to you and maybe there's things that you are aware of that are also distractions. So firstly, I thought, I thought about the young mum and dad with a baby. And I thought about the stage that the baby comes to whenever it's starting to get its teeth. And it's starting to teeth, and we, we see the cheeks all getting red, and, and the mouth is starting to dribble, and we know there's a tooth coming. And the baby's not able to settle. It's not content and it's not sleeping that well. And we decide that what we'll do, we'll give the baby a teething ring. And we give it a toy, a teething ring that it can chew on, it can suck on, to help distract it from getting its new tooth. So that's a distraction in a good way to help the baby lift its mind off the pain, off the soreness of getting a new tooth. The teething ring acts as a distraction. Then as the baby uh, grows older, uh, and maybe uh, young people, you, you have kept or you have stored up some of your favorite toys or uh, rattles. Uh, so to help keep babies engaged or occupied, Mummy or daddy or granny or granda will bring out the rattle. And rattles take all different uh, shapes and sizes and forms. But the whole idea basically is that uh, the baby either can pull at them or can take them in their hand and shake them. And it creates a noise or a sound. And it distracts the baby. It keeps them occupied. So maybe if mummy or daddy is doing something in the kitchen that they can set the baby in the playpen or the cot or its buggy in the corner and give them the rattle, and that keeps them distracted and occupied while they are busy. So that's another 
a good distraction. Then the next one, if I get it, Robin, just to, can I ask you to move it on, please? The next one. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of boys and girls who would love this. You're, you're, you're maybe out for the day, or maybe you're in the car, or you're at the shop, and you keep saying, Mommy, Mommy, or Daddy, Daddy. Uh, you're, you're, you're wanting something, and you're asking maybe for a sweet or a lolly or ice cream in the summertime. Uh, and your parents or your grandparents or whatever, they, they give in, don't they? And they give you the sweet or the lolly. And that then becomes a distraction. That is something that takes your mind away from where you're at or what you're doing. And you enjoy, you enjoy eating your sweet or licking, licking the lolly. It becomes a distraction. And again, Robin, please. Then maybe you're at home. It's maybe it's during lockdown now. You can't go to school, and you're supposed to be homeschooling. But you get tired of that, don't you? You don't want to be sitting learning all the time. And maybe you you want to do something different, or you say I I want to be at school, and that can't happen. So then, whoever's looking after you decides. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll put on a program on TV or on YouTube or on the tablet for the young person to watch. And so you become distracted as you watch your favorite TV program. You become occupied. You're almost into a different world because you're watching your favorite program. It's a distraction from what's going on around you. It almost takes you away from real life. And then as you get older, maybe you want something different from rattles and sweets and TV programs. You want to have another gadget. And we'll press up the next slide. And here we have our computer. So uh, we can have our Xbox or our different gadgets or different computers that we can go and play on. They're a distraction. And we become preoccupied with the game that we're playing and who's playing it with us. So it takes us away from reality and becomes a distraction. And as we get older, we find other toys, hobbies, or work to distract us from real life. But in the Bible, boys and girls and young people, there, there's a couple of verses that I want to share with you this morning. And the verses come from the book of Hebrews and the words are going to come up on the screen now just in a wee moment. It's from Hebrews. And there in verse 2 it says, We fix our eyes on Jesus. So if we are fixed, not on the toys and the distractions of this world, but if we are fixed on Jesus, he's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus will then lead and guide us through our lives. He's the one that we're to be fixed on, and he will lead us in the right way. So I trust that as well enjoy, as enjoying the toys uh, that distract you, that you'll also be able in your life to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and know the true purpose and meaning of life. So thank you, uh, boys and girls and young people, uh, for your attention and something for you to think about uh, in the week that lies ahead. So let's now come to God in prayer as we give God thanks and as we pray 
for others. Let's pray. Father God, we come and we give you thanks because you give us all that we have. We thank you, Lord, in the words of the Lord's Prayer for our daily bread. We thank you, Lord, for the health and strength that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for keeping us safe. Father, we want to thank you for new inventions that not only at times can be a distraction and entertainment, but are of great benefit to us. Lord, we thank you for the internet. We thank you for online ministries and how that is so useful and beneficial to us at this time when we can't meet in church. And Lord, we thank you not only for those different systems and programs, but Lord, we thank you for those who are able to operate them, those who are able to join us all together and make this possible. Father God, we pray for our families. We thank you for them. And we pray, Lord, that they would be able to balance working from home and homeschooling. Lord, that they would be able to teach their boys and girls and young people. And Lord, that at times they may be able to provide distractions for them uh, to keep them entertained. Lord God, we're also mindful of our broader community at this time. uh, And we want to pray for shopkeepers. We want to pray especially, Lord, for small shopkeepers and businesses who are finding it difficult in the current economic climate with the current restrictions uh, to survive and to keep going. So we commit them to you and pray for them and their families uh, that you would support them at this time. Father, we're thankful for the blessings that you give to us as families and to our church. And Lord, today we're mindful that there are churches in different countries of the world who are struggling. Lord, they want to tell others about you, but they don't have a building to meet in. Lord, we thank you and pray for them. Lord, we pray for those Christians who live in countries where they're persecuted, where it's not, it's not easy to talk to others about Jesus. So we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are struggling and who are finding it difficult at this time. And so, Father, we pray for ourselves, our congregation, and for our world that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come and visit us, that the Christians of this generation would be revived, would become excited and enthusiastic and fixed upon Jesus, his kingdom and his will and his plan. And Lord, for those who at this time have no hope, who look out and see gloom and grayness and bleakness, that they would see the light of the gospel, that they would find hope through faith in Jesus Christ, these things we pray in his name. Amen. We've been reading from the book of Ecclesiastes and we started our sermon series uh, there last Sunday. And you can pick that up on YouTube if you weren't able to be with us uh, or you're not normally uh, connecting uh, with our worship here. But this morning... We we want to go back into this uh, first part uh, of chapter 1 and think about nothing new under the sun. We live 
we work, we die. And that is the end of the story, according to some people. And so the question comes, where is the lasting satisfaction from our work? And the bottom line is that there is none. We just keep doing it. Verses 3 to 4 tell us that there is no profit in our labor. Verses 5 to 7 of the chapter tell us that there is no purpose in our labor. And today we're going to see in verses 8 to 11 that there is no progress with our labor. If you think there about verses 4 to 7, they, they give a list of circular circular events or cycles of life. And the writer is declaring to us that our work is of no lasting significance and of no benefit. We use the term we use the term in the office or at home or in the factory floor, rat race or treadmill. We have in our minds that there is no end to this that the conveyor belt keeps going and going and going. And what for? There's no lasting benefit from a lifetime of labor. Why? Because labor does not satisfy the human being. Work, careers, or business will never be able to supply or fill the craving of humanity. We will never be able to achieve enough to own enough, to buy enough, to be satisfied enough. And so we see that work acts and becomes like an addiction. And so we need to be mindful that work in itself needs to be managed. As we said last week, work will prove to be like a mist or a vapor on a frosty morning. It will disappear. The only work The only work, as we were singing in our opening hymn, the only work that carries eternal value is that which is done for the Lord. Not only are we to be working to earn our keep, to earn our living, but we, as followers of Christ, are called to labor for the Lord. And that work will have value. That work will have meaning, not only on earth, but it will be factored into our reward in heaven. For some people, there is no question that January, and indeed life, is a struggle. Because they have placed their faith and because they have placed their trust in their work. And so if if they rise tomorrow morning, they rise tomorrow morning faced with redundancy or rise tomorrow morning knowing that it's the first day of their retirement or if they rise tomorrow morning and they lack the health and strength to go to work. For many, they see that their life has ended. They're no longer at work, so they see that they no longer have any contribution to make or any value to society. They have no purpose, no meaning, and no value. All they have to do is wait on death. 
And so is it any wonder that people around us, they are sad, they lack contentment and happiness in life when their outlook is so bleak and so meaningless? Now there's more, so stick with us. We are a people that have hope and as a ministry we offer our people hope. But as we enter and embrace this new year, if in the Lord's will and by his grace we live through it, God will have given us 365 days, which when broken into hours amounts to 8,760 hours. Off those hours, we will spend approximately 2,900 in sleep and around about the same number in work. An equal number has also been given to us to spend in reverent preparation for the moment when years and days will cease and time for us shall be no more. So, if our work does not satisfy our inner cravings, where can we go? Where can we find light at the end of the tunnel? Where can we find hope? Where can we do away with the bleakness of this month of January? Can, can we see beyond our work today? Can we see beyond ourselves? Can we see beyond our world and discover that our hope is above us? Is life not more than coming into this world with nothing and leaving this world with nothing? Is life not more than scraping a living is life not more than struggling to rear a family and pay the bills? Can we see today that there is more to life? There is more to life than meets the eye. Solomon. Solomon in setting that scene and that picture for us then gently leads us on from the emptiness of work and the going around in circles to the excitement of another another new toy. Solomon sees that many of us, not just as young people as we're discussing there about toys and the distractions that they bring, but when it comes to adults, we too want more than one Christmas in a year. We too are fond of new toys and new gadgets and new inventions. In verse 10 we read, Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. Many years ago, whenever I was working for Pfizer and traveling across uh, to England, uh, there was a neighbor, a friend of mine that I met, and she worked for a local meat factory. And from time to time, we'd have a chat in the morning as we waited for the plane and take our trips across to England. And she was going over to England to meet the bosses of a supermarket to explain to them how they could sell a slice of meat differently. They were looking for new ways to sell a piece of meat. 
because their consumers were walking into the supermarket and they were looking to find something new, something different. It was still the same ingredient. It was still a piece of meat, but they wanted it in a different way. And it just reflects us as humans. We want the mundane things of life, the staple diet of life, to come to us in a different way. We're looking after and for something new. But if the author of Ecclesiastes was coming to visit us at the beginning of 2021 in this century, could he honestly repeat the words in verse 9? There's nothing new under the sun. Surely, if the writer of Ecclesiastes came today, would he not see gadgets from our electronic revolution? Would he not think about being able to communicate with email and how, how that's new and how it's refreshing and efficient? Would he not have been able to fly uh, from the Middle East to Northern Ireland by aeroplane rather than having to walk? Maybe. Maybe we look back and say, well, Ecclesiastes, it was written too soon. It would have been so much different if it was written now. We are people who live at a time when we have to adapt to so many things, literally month after month. And we see that during COVID. We see that in our churches and our ministries, how we've had to adapt to going online, how we've had to adapt to doing things differently. We can hardly keep up with it. It's going so quickly. And yet, sometimes as we reflect on life, we will say the more life changes, the more it remains the same. And in a sense, that is where the strength of the message of Ecclesiastes comes from. It says, under the surface of what changes, yes, there's a lot of things changing, but there is a deeper layer in human life, a level at which things do not change. These are the things that Ecclesiastes is addressing. And so Ecclesiastes wants us to think about our hearts, wants us to think about our souls. And yes, the secularist, the humanist, the atheist will say, that doesn't matter. You're born, you live, you die. It's all over. But Ecclesiastes is saying, is there not more? What about your heart and your eternal condition? And perhaps Solomon was irritated by people who introduced new things and pretended that things had really changed. And yet all the time, they were like the toddler who got the rattly. It was a distraction. It was like the child who was teething and got the teething ring. They were distracted by the ring. And so we become distracted by our new inventions. Yes, inventions and developments have their rightful place. They are a testimony to the fact that God has created us in his image and that we are creative and innovative. We can entertain ourselves. We can distract ourselves. We can be very busy. All to turn us away from who we really are. Why, why would a sinner want to come to church? Why would a sinner want to log in, to listen to a sermon, to be told that their life is a cover-up? It's a denial of reality. It's only by the grace of God 
that they will come to hear the gospel and the message of salvation and respond to it. Who wants their conscience pricked or their lifestyle invaded by the Holy Spirit when they can keep themselves distracted, when they can keep themselves from the truth of who they really are? Are there not times when we get caught up in all kinds of changes in order to try and forget that there is a deeper core to our existence, the core which the Bible calls our soul? And maybe at times you have found that your conscience has been pricked. Yet maybe there are times when we don't want to face the reality that we are sinners, that we're dead in sin, that we're cut off from God, and we're headed, as Revelation says, for hell. And so we block out the voices by surrounding ourselves with new things, We pretend to be happy. We pretend that everything is all right. And yet this book of Ecclesiastes comes to us from the ancient world loud and clear to dispel that illusion. It hauls us back to the basic reality of our existence. It hauls us back to think about our souls and about our eternity. Yes, it is so easy to become newly fangled with things in a way to hide that we are mortals and that we one day shall die. We invent new things. We create new environments. And we try to liberate ourselves from the obsession, the obsession of death or of a dark past or of our sin. At the moment, we're all to some degree obsessed by COVID-19. Before that, we had come up with the obsession about saving the planet from global warming and climate change and melting ice caps. And before that, it was something else. The other night, I was watching a program about the country of Georgia. Georgia became independent from Russia. And Georgia, it's a country I knew very little about before, but whenever you watched the program, you could see that Georgia has reinvented itself in terms of its economy, its infrastructure, and its relationships with the outside world. But Georgia has not been able to leave behind one of its infamous sons. And that was a man called Stalin. And Stalin was a Georgian. And he killed 20 million Russians. But all of the inventions and the novelty of the modern era of Georgia can't change the fact that Stalin came from their country and the atrocities that he committed. Ecclesiastes understood and it uncovered with great clarity the motives of the people. Today, are we hiding from the reality of our lives with new toys and new gadgets and new inventions? We do it We do it so well with our children, as we've looked at in the children's address. We do it so well with our spouses. We go home with a present to keep them happy. We bring a bunch of flowers, a box of chocolates to make up for something else to distract them from what went on the day before. 
It just all becomes a toy to distract us. Nothing has changed. Ecclesiastes knows that we, we love to escape. We want to avoid confronting that we are in a sinful condition. We want to avoid meeting God. Why are there so many people with no time for church, no time for God? Well, when you strip it all away, when you take away all the toys and all the excuses, it is because our people are trying to escape from the fact that they are sinners, that they are lost, and that they are going to hell. They are deceiving themselves into thinking that they have found happiness when they have found a new toy. Indeed, when you read about Paul in the New Testament and his visit to Athens, the intellectual city of the Western world at that time, we discover in Acts chapter 17 and verse 21 that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening about the latest ideas. The people of Athens were thirsty for news. They were thirsty for new ideas, for something to create excitement, to create movement, to create momentum. They were eager to hear about new gods. But the question is, were all of these idols really able to satisfy them? What was the real drive behind their curiosity? It was the fact that they had not found satisfaction. It was the fact that they had not found Christ. Is that true in your life? And in my life, that we're struggling to find satisfaction. We're struggling to find the meaning to life. God says in his word that we find meaning to life in him. That there is true satisfaction found in him. We wouldn't, we wouldn't understand the, the impact of the words of revelation that we read in our call to worship this morning, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We wouldn't grasp that if we had not read first the words of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes tells us in so many words how meaningless and how empty our lives are without Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. May we today, may each one of us, wherever we are worshipping from, may we know Christ as our Savior. And may we be able to say in the words of our closing hymn, it is well with my soul.
trust today that it is indeed well with your soul. And if there's something that you want to give thanks for, if there's something that is troubling you, uh, feel free to comment or to message us uh, through Facebook or YouTube, and we'll endeavour uh, to communicate with you uh, around those points or thoughts at this time. Let's close with the benediction. May Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, who comes with healing in his wings, fill you with joy, hope and peace that passes all understanding. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you until we meet again. Amen. <laughs>